0: Section One of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of Saint Luke, Volume Two, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter Eleven, Verses One to Four, The Lord's Prayer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Luke Chapter Eleven, Verses One to Four. And it came to pass that, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These verses contain the prayer commonly called the Lord's Prayer. Few passages of Scripture perhaps are so well known as this. The most benighted Roman Catholic can tell us that there is a prayer called Pater The most ignorant English child has heard something about our father. The importance of the Lord's prayer appears in the simple fact that our Lord Jesus Christ delivered it twice with very slight variations. He who never spake a word without good reason has thought fit to teach us this prayer upon two distinct occasions. Twice the Lord God wrote the ten commandments on tablets of stone, Deuteronomy chapter nine verse ten, chapter ten, verse four twice the lord jesus delivered the lord's prayer the occasion of the lord's prayer being delivered a second time in the verses before us is full of interest it appears that one of the disciples said lord teach us to pray the answer to that request was the well-known prayer which we are now considering who this disciple was we do not know what he did will be remembered as long as the world stands happy are those who partake of his feelings and often cry lord teach me to pray the substance of the lord's prayer is a mine of spiritual treasure to expound it fully in a work like this is manifestly impossible the prayer on which volumes have been written does not admit of being easily handled properly in a few pages for the present it must suffice us to notice its leading divisions and to mark the leading trains of thought which it should suggest to us for private meditation THE FIRST DIVISION OF THE LORD'S PRAYER RESPECTS THE GOD WHOM WE WORSHIP. WE ARE TAUGHT TO APPROACH HIM AS OUR FATHER IN HEAVEN, OUR FATHER NO DOUBT AS OUR CREATOR, BUT SPECIALLY AS OUR FATHER RECONCILED TO US IN CHRIST JESUS, OUR FATHER WHOSE DWELLING IS IN HEAVEN, AND WHOM NO TEMPLE ON EARTH CAN CONTAIN. WE THEN MAKE MENTION OF THREE GREAT THINGS, OUR FATHER'S NAME, OUR FATHER'S KINGDOM, AND OUR FATHER'S WILL we are taught to pray that the name of god may be sanctified hallowed be thy name in using these words we do not mean that god's name admits of degrees of holiness or that any prayers of ours can make it more holy than it is but we declare our hearty desire that god's character and attributes and perfections may be more known and honored and glorified by all his intelligent creatures In fact, it is the very petition which the Lord Jesus himself puts up on another occasion. Father, glorify thy name. John chapter 12 verse 28 We are next taught to pray that God's kingdom may come. Thy kingdom come. In so saying, we declare our desire that the usurped power of Satan may speedily be cast down, that all mankind may acknowledge God as their lawful king, and that the kingdoms of this world may become, in fact, as they are in promise the kingdoms of our god and of his christ the final setting up of this kingdom has been long predicted even from the day of adam's fall the whole creation groans in expectation of it the last prayer in the bible points to it the canon of scripture almost closes with the words come lord jesus revelation chapter eleven verse fifteen genesis chapter three verse fifteen ROMANS CHAPTER 8 VERSE 22 REVELATION CHAPTER 22 VERSE 20 We are taught, thirdly, to pray that God's will may be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In so saying, we express our longing desire that the number of God's converted and obedient people on earth may greatly increase, that his enemies, who hate his laws, may be minished and brought low, and that the time may speedily arrive when all men shall do their willing service to God on earth, even as all the angels do in heaven. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 11. Such is the first division of the Lord's Prayer. Its marvelous fullness and deep importance cannot be overrated. Blessed indeed are those Christians who have learned that God's name is far more honorable than that of any earthly potentate. God's kingdom, the only kingdom that shall stand for ever, and God's law, the rule to which all laws ought to be conformed. The more these things are understood and believed in a land, the happier that land will be. The days when all acknowledge these things will be the days of heaven upon earth. The second division of the Lord's Prayer respects our own daily wants. We are taught to make mention of two things which we need every day. These two things are, one of them temporal and the other spiritual one of them is bread the other is forgiveness of sins we are taught to ask for bread give us this day our daily bread under this word bread no doubt is included everything which our bodies can require we acknowledge our entire dependence upon god for life and breath and all things we ask him to take charge of us and provide for us in all the concerns of this world it is the prayer of solomon under another form feed me with the food convenient for me proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 we are taught to ask in the next place for forgiveness forgive our sins for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us in so saying we confess that we are fallen guilty and corrupt creatures and in many things offend daily we make no excuse for ourselves we plead nothing in our own behalf. We simply ask for the free, full, gracious mercy of our Father in Christ Jesus, and we accompany the petition by the only profession which the whole Lord's Prayer contains. We profess that we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. The combined simplicity and richness of the second division of the Lord's Prayer can never be sufficiently admired. How soon the words are spoken! and yet how much the words take in. Daily bread and daily mercy are by far the first and principal things that mortal man wants. He is the rich man who possesses them. He is the wise man who is not ashamed to pray for them every day. The child of God, no doubt, is fully justified before God, and all things are working for his good. But it is the life of true faith to apply daily for fresh supplies of all our wants. Though the promises are all ours, our father likes his children to remind him of them. Though washed, we need daily to wash our feet. John chapter 12, verse 10 The third division of the Lord's Prayer respects our daily dangers. We are taught to make mention of two things which we ought to fear every day, and which we must expect to meet with as long as we are in this world. One of these things is temptation, the other is evil. We are taught to pray against temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We do not mean by this expression that God is the author of evil or that he tempts man to sin. James chapter one verse thirteen. But we entreat him who orders all things in heaven and earth and without whom nothing can happen so to order the course of our lives that we may not be tempted above what we can bear. We confess our weakness and readiness to fall. We entreat our Father to preserve us from trials, or else to make a way for us to escape. We ask that our feet may be kept, and that we may not bring discredit on our profession and misery on our souls. We are taught, lastly, to pray against evil. Deliver Us From Evil We include under the word evil everything that can hurt us, either in body or soul, and especially every weapon of the great author of evil, the devil. We confess that ever since the fall the world lieth in the wicked one, first John chapter five verse nineteen. We confess that evil is in us and about us and near us and on every side, and that we have no power to deliver ourselves from it. We apply to the strong for strength, we cast ourselves on him for protection. In short, we ask what our saviour himself asked for us when he said, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. John chapter 17 verse 15 Such is the last division of the Lord's Prayer. In real importance it is not a whit inferior to the two other divisions which we have already considered. It leaves man precisely in the position which he ought to occupy. It puts in his mouth the language of humility. The most dangerous state in which we can be is not to know and feel our spiritual danger. And now let us use the lord's prayer for the trial of our own state before god its words have probably passed over our lips thousands of times but have we really felt it do we really desire its petitions to be granted is god really our father are we born again and made his children by faith in christ do we care much for his name and will do we wish the kingdom of god to come DO WE FEEL OUR NEED OF DAILY TEMPORAL MERCIES, AND OF DAILY PARDON FOR SIN? DO WE FEAR FALLING INTO TEMPTATION? DO WE DREAD EVIL ABOVE ALL THINGS? THESE ARE SERIOUS QUESTIONS. THEY DESERVE SERIOUS CONSIDERATION. LET US STRIVE TO MAKE THE LORD'S PRAYER OUR MODEL AND PATTERN IN ALL OUR APPROACHES TO GOD. LET IT SUGGEST TO US THE SORT OF THINGS WHICH WE SHOULD PRAY FOR AND PRAY AGAINST. Let it teach us the relative place and proportion which we should give to each subject in our prayers. The more we ponder and examine the Lord's prayer, the more instructive and suggestive we shall find it to be. Notes, Luke chapter 11, verses 1-4 to 4. Verse 1 As He Was Praying We see in this place another instance of our Lord's diligence in private prayer. In this respect he has left a pattern which all Christians ought to copy— teach us to pray. Quisnell calls attention to the benefit which this man's request has obtained for the whole church of Christ. One single person, moved and edified by the good example of our Lord's praying, conceives a love for prayer, desires to know how to pray, is sensible that of himself he is not capable of doing it, addresses himself to Christ, obtains from him this divine pattern, procures this treasure for the rest of the disciples, and for the whole church— and becomes the occasion of the infinite good which the prayer has produced, and will produce, to the end of the world. Verse 2. When ye pray, say. Let it be carefully noted that the Lord's prayer was twice delivered by our Lord, upon two distinct occasions. This accounts for the slight variations in its form, which appear on comparison. Mead remarks, As Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream is doubled unto pharaoh because the thing is established so the delivery of this prayer was doubled that we may know the more certainty that our saviour intended and commanded it for a set form of prayer to his church our father chrysostom and augustine both remark that to address god as father is peculiar to the new testament dispensation and that the old testament saints never use the expression the remark is undoubtedly true but requires fencing with cautions we must be careful not to suppose that the old testament saints were destitute of the holy ghost as some say and were not born again their light was undoubtedly far less than ours the way into the holiest was not made manifest the precise manner in which god would be just and yet justify the ungodly was not clearly understood by them they could not therefore look up to god with that boldness and freedom which the christian believer can as to a reconciled father. But to say that God was in no sense the father of Old Testament believers would be going much too far. He is the father of all who are saved by Christ, and without Christ no man was ever saved. The expression, Our, in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, should not be overlooked. It teaches believers that in all their prayers they should think of others as well as themselves they should remember all the members of Christ's mystical body as their brethren and sisters in the Lord. Thy Name. To see the full meaning of this expression, we should note the many places in which it is used in the Psalms, such, for instance, as these. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. Psalm 22, verse 21. They that know my name will trust in thee. Psalm 9, verse 22. I will wait on thy name psalm fifty two verse nine unto thy name give the glory psalm 115 verse one the righteous shall give thanks to thy name psalm 140 verse thirteen in all these cases and many more the idea is evidently that of god's revealing character and attributes thy kingdom the plainest and simplest sense of this word is the promised kingdom which god is one day to take to himself over all the world foretold by daniel and the other prophets when satan shall cease to be prince of this world and the millennium shall begin thy will be done as in heaven so in earth to see the full beauty of this prayer we should read the description of angels in psalm 103 verses 20 and 21 heaven is the only place now where god's will is done perfectly constantly unhesitatingly cheerfully immediately and without asking any questions verse three give us day by day our daily bread the english translation of the greek words in this verse admits of some questions the literal sense appears to be give us for the day or day by day the bread which is sufficient for our subsistence the greek word which we have rendered daily is only found in this place and in matthew chapter six verse eleven some think that the word should be translated our supersubstantial bread understanding by it the bread of the lord's supper this is a most unlikely and improbable sense even stella the spanish commentator remarks that the eucharist is not bread for every day some think that the word should be rendered give us day by day our to-morrow's bread a future bread this seems a very harsh and awkward sense the true meaning appears to be that which has been already given the bread which is convenient or sufficient for our daily subsistence. This is the interpretation maintained by Chrysostom, Theophylact, and Suidas, and ably defended by Parkhurst. Verse four, forgive us our sins. Let this expression be carefully noted. It provides an answer to those who say that the believer ought never to ask for pardon of sins one text like this is worth a hundred arguments the lord jesus bids us to do it and therefore it ought to be done the justification of every believer no doubt is a finished and perfect work and one admitting of no degrees no increase and no diminution the moment a man believes on christ he is as much justified as st paul or st john and cannot be more justified if he lives to the age of methuselah but all this is no reason why he should not daily confess his sins and daily seek fresh application of christ's blood to his conscience in fact it is the life of faith to do so the words of our lord in another place are very teaching he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet john chapter thirteen verse ten indebted to us whitby and hammond both remark that this expression has a sense much stronger than it appears at first sight to bear hammond says that in the syriac language which our lord very probably spoke a sinner is called a debtor let it not be forgotten that every unforgiving and implacable man who uses the lord's prayer is practically praying that his own sin may not be forgiven at all he is professing a lie lead us the greek word rendered lead is only used seven times in the new testament Excepting in the Lord's Prayer, our translators have always rendered it bring into Luke chapter five, verses eighteen and nineteen, Acts chapter seventeen, chapter twenty, First Timothy chapter six, verse seven, Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse eleven. From evil, the word so translated might have been rendered with equal correctness the evil one, that is, the devil they are so rendered in matthew chapter thirteen verse nineteen and chapter thirteen verse thirty eight and first john chapter two verses thirteen and fourteen and first john chapter three verse twelve and chapter five verse eighteen i cannot leave the subject of the lord's prayer without remarking that those who profess to believe in an unanimous consent of the fathers in the interpretation of scripture would do well to observe the exceedingly various senses which the fathers attach to the several clauses of the Lord's Prayer. No man can investigate this point without discovering that the Fathers are no more agreed among themselves as to the meaning of Scripture than Gill and A. Clark, or Thomas Scott and Mant. A summary of various interpretations of the Lord's Prayer by the Fathers will be found in Cummings Lectures for the Times. Edition, 1845, page 174. End of section 1